Hello and welcome to the Food Freedom Podcast, previously the Eating Disorder Therapist Podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Food Freedom Coach, and I'm really excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information, and soon-to-be invited guests to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you for listening today. So how are you doing? Are you finding your routine and pattern with daily life or are you struggling? Or maybe it's a bit of a mix of the two. So this week I've been on leave for my NHS work. Children have been at home and our days have been pretty relaxed and chilled. The sunny weather has helped massively. So we've been out in the garden doing a lot of therapeutic sorting out and we've absolutely valued our daily walk. So we've been pushed together, as many of you will be, with family members we don't normally spend so much time with. So there's definitely been more swearing, frustration and heated moments. And over some of the smallest things, like who's being noisy during a film by eating or slurping their tea too loudly. Also though, your love, connection and giggling. It's been a long time since we've really been slowing down and had to live more in the moment. So we're getting more sleep, days can't be as hectic, and batteries are slowly recharging. So I'm really fortunate that the people I'm in lockdown with are my close family, my husband and my children. So these are largely supportive and warm relationships. But if you're in lockdown and relationships are tricky, then I can really understand what a difficult time this might be for you. So for anyone in that position, I really acknowledge how hard that might be. Today though, I want to talk about activity, exercise, movement, whatever you want to call it. And I'm going to share my three tips to find a peaceful balance with exercise. And I'm also going to share about my own relationship with exercise and how I manage this after recovery from an eating disorder. So let's dive straight in with this. So moving our bodies, getting stronger, developing cardiovascular fitness, these are all wonderful things to be doing for our physical and mental well-being. And exercising does have enormous mental health benefits. It decreases anxiety, improves mood, body image is boosted and sleep is better. And physically, we know it's really beneficial on many levels to have a long and healthy life. However, if you have an eating disorder, then exercise can sometimes become a compulsive addiction. It loses all the joy. It becomes a way to burn calories alone. And it becomes something that leaves you weary and exhausted. And it can become something as well that you feel you have to do, either to allow yourself permission to eat or to burn off calories eaten. So working with many clients, they've often experienced problems with overactivity, and I really appreciate the impact of this. So for example, some of my clients are wedded to their fitness trackers and they have to walk numerous steps per day. This can involve extensive walks or pacing around the house to achieve their required target. Some of my clients have lost their mental cycle through overexercise and punishing workout regimes has impacted their fertility for the long term. I've worked as well with ballet dancers, jockeys and bodybuilders where the pressure to change your body to fit an ideal weight or shape is momentous. You're then praised for achieving this body shape even if the cost to your mental and physical health are detrimental. And when your whole identity has become so linked to maintaining a certain body shape even if it means hours of exercise, this can be understandably be quite hard to give up. And as well, 
Of course, there's also the general trend of wellness culture and influencers showcasing their fitness regimes, toned abs and perfect butts. <laughs> it's become trendy to work out extensively with the strong not skinny hashtag floated around on Instagram and other platforms and used by many people who are likely struggling with disordered eating. But you can easily fall victim to over-exercising but not even realising the trap you're caught in. So you might feel that you're kind of morally superior, that you're doing the right thing, when in reality exercise has slipped into a not so healthy place as it's become a compulsion and something that you feel you have to do. So I'm now going to talk a little bit about my own relationship with exercise. So I grew up on a farm having lots of open spaces around me and I was part of a large family and I've spent a lot of my time with my siblings and my cousins. So I was really fortunate to experience a lot of freedom having the countryside on my doorstep. So for me, being active was a regular part of daily life. So there were animals to be fed, dogs to be walked, jobs to be done outside. It was a very physical lifestyle. So moving for me was very much linked to working, connecting with the people around me, around me and mainly these were quite happy experiences. Movement was just part of life. And my parents weren't anxious at all. My dad was very non-health and safety conscious, possibly too much so, as he did take quite a lot of risks with us. The benefit of this though was it offered us all the opportunity to climb trees, play in hay bales, complete freedom to roam the fields, a garden to build obstacle courses and lots of family to join in as well. So I realised I was really, really lucky and had real privilege to have this early experience with exercise and just all of that early in life. Now as I became a teenager, I hated being stuck out in the middle of nowhere with only one bus per day through the village, but for my younger childhood it was really quite idyllic. Then, when I had bulimia in my late teens, overactivity was a part of it, but never a substantial part of it. I used to run with a running club at university, and it definitely linked in with weight control and burning energy to some extent, but it never became a central part of the eating disorder for me. Now, I went to university in Sheffield and it was a fantastic place to go if you loved the outdoors. So I would go mountain biking, I'd go horse riding or running and mainly for the love of it. And I might do it like three times a week. I'm talking like in total activity, maybe four max. It was never a compulsion. And also I'd have phases where the activity would be significantly reduced in the holidays or when I was in a different routine. Then post-recovery, I've always enjoyed being active. I'll choose to walk from the park and ride rather than get the bus, unless it's raining, of course. I enjoy going for a cycle ride with my children or going out for a jog. And about four years ago, I began claiming back a little more time for myself with my children becoming more independent. And I wanted to try some different forms of activity and challenge myself a bit. So as a child, as I'd always enjoyed climbing obstacle courses and being outside, all on the farm, and very much a homemade approach, I wanted to try and replicate this and kind of get in, in back in touch with that kind of younger version of myself that really enjoyed all of that activity. And I was quite inspired by Ninja Warrior UK and also um, a parkour runner called Katie McDonnell, um, do look her up if you are interested in anything like that. She does like amazing backflips and balancing, um, which I can't do any of, but I find it very inspiring. Um, so in the last few years, I've enjoyed dabbling a bit in climbing, parkour, 
doing obstacle courses and a bit of weight training. And it's not something I get to do every week by any means. Um, Most of these activities are not offered in my hometown and need about an hour's drive to get there. And I've got a family, I've got a busy job, so I do it when I can. But this is fine because it's for the joy and fun of moving. I'm not in this for any massive physical gains or body changes and I'm realistic about my limits. Then day to day, I do try and stay quite active. I might go for a walk. I might do a local boot camp once a week. Um, I tend to play with the kids in the back garden. So do a mix of things. So trying to stay active, but it's definitely not a big kind of should. And it's definitely something that's quite enjoyable. But you might be thinking, okay, Harriet, well, that's all very well for you. But what about those of you who are listening who are not in this place at all? Maybe you're feeling completely trapped in a compulsive exercise cycle. Maybe it's taking over every single day with hours of overactivity. And maybe it's getting in the way of your relationships and work. And maybe you feel that you have to work out even if you're injured or exhausted. And maybe you're experiencing exhaustion, stress fractures, osteoporosis, dehydration or other health conditions or concerns. So how to get in a better place with exercise. So number one, get real about the problem. Now I think often with overexercise, we kind of have convinced ourselves that we're being really healthy by exercising so much, when actually overexercise is not healthy. Um, you might be thinking, you know, well, any kind of exercise, it's good, it's healthy, it's the right thing to do, you know, the government guidelines are always saying exercise more or whatever. But it's really important to get realistic because over-exercise or compulsive exercise, they're very different to just regular healthy exercise. So if it's become a real should, if it's become a real have to, a thing that you have to do to feel okay, then maybe you need to start questioning your relationship with exercise. So in getting real, really take a step back. Write down the pros and cons of exercising so much. What are you really gaining and what are you losing out on? What are the costs to your mental and physical health? Because until you face a situation head on, it might feel very difficult to even consider change. So ask yourself, How motivated do I feel right now to address this? You know, do you genuinely want to even make a change? You might be thinking, well, actually, no. If you are ready as well, what support do you need to help you cut down? It might feel impossible to make changes alone and you really might need to get some support through therapy or with a trusted friend or family member. So does it even feel realistic that you can begin to do this? Is the timing right? Lockdown can present different opportunities or challenges to different individuals. What might the first baby steps to change even look like? So these are all valuable questions to ask yourself. And it's helpful to view working on this as a marathon, sorry, excuse this pun, rather than a sprint. You're not going to change this overnight and it's unrealistic to even think that this is possible. However, by taking baby steps, these are going to add up to a whole load of significant change over the course of the next year. So in making the first changes, if you're doing a certain number of steps per day, think about reducing this. So say, for example, if you're doing, I don't know, 15,000, think about initially dropping that to 14,000. If you're doing, um, 
I don't know, so many sessions at the gym per week, think about cutting out one session. Now, when you start to do this, initially you might feel really, really anxious because overexercise has become a safety behavior which you're turning to to try and reduce your anxiety. So not doing it, it might leave you climbing the walls to start with. But that's okay. This is a normal part of the process and you will get through this. People as well will generally find that the thought of change is much worse than the actual change itself. So your head will be telling you all kinds of stories about how you won't manage. And you really might need to have some support in place to help you manage the change. So you might want to speak to someone about how anxious you feel and then enable them to support you. You might need to actively fill the time where you would be exercising with an activity that offers distraction. So maybe something like an arts or crafts activity, maybe writing in a journal, something that you can actually get really distracted in. And then once you've kind of made an initial change and you've adjusted to that change, you can then think about what you might want to do next. Now, all these baby steps, they do add up to a great deal. And one day you will look back and see just how far you've come, how far you've come. So don't be disheartened by just taking the baby steps. They really do add up to such a big deal. Okay, moving on to my tip number two. This is about beginning to dare to listen more to your body. Now it's very common if you have an eating disorder that you'll be completely out of tune with your body and its signals. You might regularly push yourself to exhaustion, over hunger, not resting, always doing, doing, doing. You'll be driven by the eating disorder voice to keep going no matter what. You'll be driven by an internal critic who chastises you for not being productive and calls you lazy even if you think about sitting down. Your own inner quiet and healthy voice may have been drowned out entirely. You probably don't hear it anymore, and if you do, you might not trust it one bit. If you find yourself on some days absolutely exhausted beyond measure, or ravenously hungry and wanting to binge eat, you've likely been ignoring your body's signals in the preceding days. And suddenly your body is shouting loudly and it's almost impossible then to ignore the signals any longer. But it's much harder to meet your own needs well and in an effective way when you've pushed your body to breaking point. So for example, I'm just going to talk about my fictional client here, Becky. So Becky felt that she had to go to the gym every single day. It become a weary should. She was dragging herself there even when she was feeling ill or had had a late night the day before and desperately wanted to lay in. Becky used to love the gym and enjoyed the buzz of it, but now just thinking about it left her with a sinking feeling. But she didn't dare not go. She worried what would happen if she didn't follow her routine. She worried that she might gain weight in an out-of-control fashion. She was worried about what she would do with all the time that the gym took up. She was fearful of the unknown. On the other hand, Becky becomes so miserable with her regime and routine that she was willing to risk a change. And she started very small and managed to start reducing her activity. Now, Becky was incredibly anxious when reducing her activity, but it was also such a relief to step away from what had become daily self-punishment. Now, Becky started to keep an exercise diary. She recorded how much activity she was doing. She then worked to keep reducing this bit by bit. 
She also recorded her feelings and thoughts in the diary. She realised that although her anxiety was high, there were also other benefits creeping in, in which she was able to notice by keeping a record. Becky started to sleep much better and found that energy levels began to improve. She also noticed that her hunger felt more manageable, as the overactivity had driven her to regular binging. She began to feel less uptight day to day and was able to focus and enjoy things more. So her fears about weight gain or losing control were in fact as well not really true. Becky in fact felt more in control as she wasn't always thinking about the next time she had to be active. So this leads me on to point number three, reframing exercise as joyful movement. So try to move away from seeing exercise as something that has to be done to burn off calories eaten. Because when you view it in this way, it leads to a very all or nothing relationship with activity. Because you're either doing it well or you abandon it completely. So move towards seeing activity as something for mental well-being as well as physical. Think about the decreased anxiety, the improved mood, the better body image and better sleep. And get curious about different activities you could try. It might be time to be brave to embrace something that is different or out of your comfort zone. I do appreciate that this is more limited to be able to do this at the moment. But looking ahead, maybe you could try dance or yoga or climbing or a team sport or circus, circus skills even. What might work for you? It might mean that you have to step away from the gym or somewhere else that has actually become quite toxic for you, at least for a little while. And you might need to choose an activity whereas there are when there's a time limit for example a class if you feel that you might be tempted to exercise without limits so it might take a little while to transition towards a different relationship with exercise don't give up though it is absolutely worth it so in summary being active and moving your body is wonderful for your mental and physical well-being but when it becomes a compulsion it's destructive and it's not healthy so Get real about your activity and if it's really helping you. Do you actually have a compulsive relationship with exercise? It's so helpful to be open and honest with yourself. Number two, start to listen to your body and begin to trust in its innate innate signals. Can't say that word. And number three, think about engaging in movement that is joyful and fun value the mental health benefits and doing activity to keep your mind and body in a great place. So have a ponder and reflect on these three tips and think about where your starting point is for change. And if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the Food Freedom Coach. And for regular tips and insights into overcoming disordered eating, do sign up for my weekly articles on my blog page at foodfreedomcoach.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Bye for now.